Greetings to everyone. I want to thank you for listening in right now. My name is Nyla, and this is Greener Thoughts. It's the podcast about environmental news, commentary, environmental facts, proactive ways you can protect our planet, and more. This episode topic is all about how all of Africa came humans because of Earth's climate. Greener Thoughts is produced every Sunday and Thursday. Please be sure to favorite Greener Thoughts wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, you can review Greener Thoughts, and also I would appreciate if you share Greener Thoughts wherever you can, with whoever you can. All of these actions will help Greener Thoughts grow and do. And I would also love for you to go ahead and contact me if you would be so kindly to send me a voice message or email. You can do so a few different ways. One of them is going to anchor.fm forward slash Greener Thoughts Podcast forward slash message. Or you can do so via the Anchor app. Or you can send me an email to greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. do have a special um, announcement. Um, It is in regards to um, several different things, one of them being my birthday coming up. It's on the 15th of February, and so I would love for you to send me um, a voice message, you know, about um, anything that you've heard on Greener Thoughts, maybe um, some recent news, or maybe, maybe a, you know, product that you've Um, went ahead and bought because of the reviews or the fascinating facts or even um, some of my commentary or even some of the major pieces in the news. I would love to hear from you. That would be great, a great present from all of you. As you all know, I do love getting voice messages a ton. I talk about all the time whenever I get new ones, especially if they are like responses to um, ones that I've um, given out or people just give, you know, voice messages, it really means a lot, and so I do um, share them um, most of the time, and so um, I have another announcement as well, of course, happy Black History Month, and the third announcement is, in the last announcement, is about this event um, that was a blast, and I had so much fun, it was the Prince George's County Environmental Forum in Atlanta, Maryland, and it happened recently, And I want to give a big thanks to the almost 50 environmental, civic, and also political organizations that were there, the governments that were there, uh, their members, just all the representation that was present there. I want to give a special thanks uh, for meeting with me personally, uh, the Food and Water Watch, also the Department of Environmental Protection for Montgomery County, uh, Mr. Uh, Adam Ortiz, and then Miss Askew of the Anacostia Watershed Society. I had questions about spring cleanup and uh, partaking, partaking in park cleanup, um, litter pickup, those type of things. And so I'm going to be contacting her and a few other people. I also want to uh, thank uh, Nam. I also want to thank um, Nami. Amachi from the Clean Water Partnership 
um, and then also Mr. Fred Tutman from uh, the Patuxent uh, Riverkeeper. He is the Patuxent Riverkeeper, and he's the only um, African-American in the country to hold that title as a riverkeeper. And so you can learn more about him on his website, uh, fredtutman.com. That's R. That's F-R-E-D-T-U-T-M-A-N.com. And of course, to the Sierra Club. All of the names of the organizations and also governmental bodies in attendance at the forum will be present and listed in the show notes. So all of you can go ahead and check them out and support them. And I'll be sure to let them know that Green Thought says hi. So we're going to start off with the uh, next segment, which is headlines from the hemispheres. It is a quick briefing on environmental news globally. So the first headline is all about bumblebees. So bees, anyone who loves bees would love uh, this information in this news story. So bumblebees are disappearing because of extreme heat. And you can learn more about that news on npr.org in the environment section. So researchers looked at half a million records. So it's a lot of records, about 500,000, of course. um, And it showed um, in those uh, records that bumblebees have, um, you know, been, um, they were showing where in those records, um, where bumblebees were found since, you know, 1901, a long, long time ago, and it it varied across 66 different species. But um, they also found the places where bumblebees have lived in North America um, all throughout that time since 1901, but it showed um, that you're about half as likely to see um, one of those species of bumblebees today. And so the decrease is extremely uh, pronounced in places like Mexico, where bumblebees once lived and were plentiful, but it's not that way today. And Peter Soroye is a graduate student at the University of Ottawa, and he was the lead author on the study. And that study was published in the journal Science. Next is the uh, headline about wolves, and one of them in particular uh, in, in the sad story there. So wolf who traveled thousands of miles in search for mate or new pack found dead. That news story, that sad news story was found on HuffPost, a.k.a. Huffington Post, in the environment section. So this wolf, um, a female wolf named OR54, um, crossed into um, northeastern California and was traveling and spent uh, much time in uh, nine of the different um, counties within the state, or just nine of the different counties, probably more, but this particular wolf crossed a ton of different counties within um, California and um, back over the border to uh, Oregon, traveling, traveling. And she was exploring um, new territory in the search of a mate or also a um, a wolf pack. So either one of those. But wildlife officials in late 2019 suggested that she covered uh, uh, many, many thousands of miles, about 8,712 miles exactly. Um, Yet 
Um, an official statement from uh, the death um, estimated that it would have probably changed to 7,646 miles traveled. So that's the difference there. And as far as her uh, radio collar that was used for tracking, it actually stopped working in December 2019. So the exact miles traveled will never really be unknown, so it will probably stay unknown. Um, the Center for Biological Diversity called OR-54's death a blow to California's gray wolf comeback. And then the last and final headline is all about PFASs, these um, dangerous uh, chemicals uh, within food and also um, within the news. Um, there are known um, pretty dangerous stuff. So high levels of PFASs um, affect immune liver functions in Cape Fear River striped bass. You can learn more about that news piece on ENN.com, a.k.a. Environmental News Network. So the research comes out of North Carolina State University. And researchers there, they found elevated levels of 11 um, per and polyfluoroalkyl or PFAS uh, chemicals in the blood of the Cape Fear River striped bass. So all the fish there, they had uh, these huge levels of um, tons of chemicals, these, these compounds uh, within their blood. And two of the most dangerous compounds affected or even altered immune and also liver functions in the fish. The research team, they went ahead and separated the serum from the blood of 58 wild-caught bass from the Cape Fear River. And these fish were aged two years to about seven years. And with those concentrations, they found 23 different uh, PFAS chemicals all the way in the serum, so present there. And then they used a combination of liquid uh, chromatography and also high-resolution mass uh, spectrometry um, for uh, analyzing the concentrations um, of PFAS chemicals in the fish blood. So the source for uh, this news piece comes from uh, ScienceDaily.com in the Science News section. Um, as far as my reasons for picking this specific topic, um, I've never really discussed human migration and I peeked at the chance to do it um, because it ties to how climate change was back way back then um, where um, there were humans on the planet, sure, but you know, there's research out there and I wanted to um, talk about it and I didn't know, you know, what else um, to sort of, you know, bring into this topic. But I do know that we as people, we need to understand um, Earth from all angles and not just from um, how it is, you know, today and how it's you know been affected um, recently and all the um, natural disasters all the influences that we put into our atmosphere, um, the things that we eat, the um, pollutants that we put into 
you know, our bodies in the air, all types of things affect um, our earth. And so I wanted to, you know, look at the history of earth and what man at the time and in, in how we operated back then, what it can, you know, shed light on and, and, and what we can learn from, you know, back then, back then in history. Um, because things are different, you know, now, but maybe things were even different way more um, so back then. So I figured why not just talk about it. Um, I learned plenty of new different things um, as far as the research. So I'm going to dive right into it. So the first piece here, I'm going to get into the title. So I entitled this uh, coverage here, uh, Early Humans Migration Out of the African Continent. Simply put, that's what we're going to talk about. And so we're going to dive into first the climate study for the ages. So this is an amazing um, set of information here that I'm going to uh, start uh, off with. So there was a recent study that was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, and it was from um, Mr. John Kutzbach. He is the um, emeritus at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and he's the professor of atmospheric and oceanic sciences and the Nielsen Institute for Environmental Studies. So he's been doing research for a long time, and he and his team of researchers, they went ahead and traced changes in climate and also plant life and so, you know, foliage um, in Africa, Arabia, and the Mediterranean. And so, you know, we you may be thinking, how far did this research go back? It went back a lot of years, about 140,000 years they went back to try and understand and study um, the influences in uh, underlying the human dispersal that took place in human history. This is where you get all the humans that we have today. They all uh, came out of Africa, the African continent. So next we're going to get to the complexity of climate for an ever-changing Earth. So this is where we're talking about all the Earth has gone through with the changes in those 140,000 years that we've looked at uh, with humans. So first to study details a uh, dynamic duo. So it's talking about both climate and also the vegetation model uh, that we talked about a little bit and how these explains uh, when the regions across Africa, parts of the Middle East and also the Mediterranean, these places were wetter and drier also and how that plant composition then changed in sequence, how that plant vegetation, that foliage changed and shaped its way, and how we as humans went ahead and used that plant matter to, to grow and to, to leave and to nourish ourselves, to go and migrate to other places that had green spaces where we could, of course, eat, where we could, of course, um, sustain ourselves with this plant matter. You know, looking at the climate, and how this enabled us to po to possibly, you know, shape migration patterns, migration ways throughout time. You know, seeing how green vegetation grows in certain areas within the places we talked about, within um, within Africa, within the Middle East, within the Mediterranean. Which places were green? Which places um, 
offered more of life, offered more ability to survive uh, because of uh, the life that was present there, the green vegetation. We know that green vegetation means life. And so um, we as humans were able to survive because of those places that were kept alive, that green vegetation there. So um, with that, we were able to migrate to other regions uh, across um, to get to where we are now, thousands and thousands of years later. From this research, one example of the model is that it showed that around 125,000 years ago, North Africa and the Arabian Peninsula experienced increased in more northerly reaching summer monsoon uh, rainfalls. So pretty uh, striking because, you know, monsoon rainfalls, they do affect um, Africa right now. Um, and so that is, you know, comparison, a contrast there. Uh, so this meant that there was a narrowing of the Saharan and Arabian deserts due to increased grassland. Simultaneously, at the same time, in the Mediterranean, the Levant, which is an area that includes Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Israel, and Palestine, these also had places where winter storm tracking, uh, the tracked rainfall was also increased. So it was rainfall at this time in uh, these regions. These changes were driven by the Earth's position uh, relative to the sun. So. Um, Earth was positioned at, you know, a different point a little bit um, in relative position to the sun at that time, hundreds of thousands of years back. And then the northern hemisphere at the time back then was as close as possible to the sun during the summer and then as far away as possible during the winter. This means that there were warm, wet summers and cold winters kind of pales in comparison, you know, speaking from personal experience, um, in the summertime, it gets hot and it's warm. It's not, it, it's hot. It's not warm or wet like there. I'm talking about in the research, um, just to compare, it is, you know, variable, you know, we get, we get rainy and, and, in doused in rain in the springtime, not so much in the summer. Every 10,000 years or so from the research, um, they were talking about how the northern hemisphere, it would um, then be at its furthest point from the sun during the summer and then closest uh, during the winter. This is every 10,000 years or so. So indeed, the model, it showed large increases in rainfall and also vegetation, and it talked about it at different points. Um, in the research, it talked about it at um, 125,000 years, um, and then also at 105,000 years, and then also at 83,000 uh, years ago. These points uh, with corresponding decreases also at um, 115,000 years, and then also 95,000 years, and then also at 73,000 um, years. These are when the uh, summer monsoons decreased in magnitude and stayed further south. So next we're going to talk about um, the period that was from 70,000 years to about 15,000 years ago. Earth was in its glacial period, and so the model, the vegetation uh, model that we were you know, talking about, it showed that the presence of ice sheets 
um, and also reduced greenhouse gases. These these increased uh, winter Mediterranean storms, yet it limited the southern retreat or fallback of the summer monsoons that were present. It reduced greenhouse gases. They went ahead and caused cooling near the equator, which can also lead to you know drier climate there and reduced uh, forest cover. And then lastly, with the types of changes to regional patterns that were seen of the climate and vegetation, this could have created resource gradient. So there was a resource resources scattered about uh, because of the uh, different climates about and the vegetation that may or may not have been present in certain uh, areas that we talked about. So this means that you know for those who are living. Um, in you know Africa, um, this would have been um, you know great to go ahead and find other regions where vegetation was present because of what we're seeing with the the weather, the monsoons, and the drier periods, and there's also the winter factor there. This, all of which, thus created a migration outward, of course, to other areas where more water was present, uh, more resources, plant life, finding uh, resources for the humans to live. All right, so next I want to just talk about uh, my thoughts on the research a little bit, but more so um, taking things another sort of turn. And I just want to, you know, talk about, you know, whether you know it or not or like it or not, you know, everyone came out of Africa. And for those, it may be a shock or, you know, plenty of people will say, oh, well, my ancestors didn't come from, you know, this place. Well, that's not necessarily true. You know, we all came from this amazing continent, the African continent. You know, some of the oldest bones on the planet, the oldest bones on the planet, you know, were named Lucy. But we all know that name was given to the bones um, by someone who probably wasn't from um, the African continent, but besides the point, the oldest bones ever found were named Lucy, but they were f- uh, found in Hadar, um, Ethiopia, and they were um, discovered by Donald Johansson in the uh, mid-1970s, um, and also the hominid jaws, they were also first discovered there, he discovered them uh, also with his uh, Ethiopian colleague, he went ahead and found some hominid jaws and other uh, uh, structural skeleton parts near the Hadar camp. And his name is Alimu Al- Alema Yelu. I'm probably butchering it, but I'm going to try and pronounce it as best I can. Alema Yehu Asfar. That is his name, the Ethiopian colleague um, alongside Dr. Um, Donald Johansson. And they helped discover um, these amazing, you know, bones, these uh, hominin uh, jaw parts and other body parts, all one skeleton. Um, So some of the oldest bones in history come um, from uh, Africa and from specifically there in Ethiopia. There are... um, you know, instances where people, I think, are quick to disregard um, Africa. And it's just, it boils my blood, it grinds my gears. It it frustrates me that people don't pay homage and that, that 
there are people here, out here, you know, in the world that will take, 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 but don't give. They will absorb um, things that they like and, and, and say that, oh, it's, it, it's originally theirs or, you know, they're just trying to, you know, take part in the culture or some sort. And it's not really fair to really do that because you're not respecting um, the culture from what you, you know, got it from the people from once you got, you know, culture. Um, there was the incident of Cheddar Man, which if you don't know, is one of the um, historic um, humans um, that were created out of um, DNA findings um, in Britain. And so if you search National Geographic or type in Cheddar Man, you can definitely learn all about this stuff. And he's one of the earliest Britons. He has deep, um, beautiful uh, brown skin and blue eyes. And he has light, um, curly hair. So it's probably a lighter, curlier texture. It's got some weight to it, but not too, too much. I got to tell you, social media went ham. It was in an uproar. People lost their minds when they found out that the oldest um, known Briton was um, essentially a black man. And so, you know, there was so much vitriol, you know, racist comments, bigoted comments. And it was just, you know, totally uncalled for. But I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that there are, you know, people out there, no matter what, that will, you know, try to, um, you know, disregard history like it doesn't matter, like like trying to, you know, take a crap or take a deuce on the black man, the black woman. I'm not for it, you know, how dare they do that, and I'm not going to accept that at all. I, you know, I go ham in the comments um, when it comes to things like that, you know, when people disrespect black people, no, don't disrespect my people and think that that's okay. Ain't going to happen. Um, I, I was proud that the researchers, they didn't whitewash or try to, um, whitewash the, um, essence of Cheddar Man because there are representations, um, of whitewashing history that have happened. We all know Cleopatra. Cleopatra was not a white woman. Sorry, not sorry to say that. Um, she was queen um, of Egypt. Um, and so, you know, she ruled. And, um, you know, I think people, they want to take credit where credit is not due. That's a, a major problem in society. And I'm not even going to just say amongst millennials or uh, any other generation. I think just people, period, they want to harp on um, and, you know, get on the gravy chain and um, they want to try and make a case for something that's not theirs. And, um, you know, we as knowledgeable people, as smart people, as people who listen, people who do research, can I put a stop to it? If you see something wrong, if you find misinformation, you know, correct people. You know, show them with proof, you know, be smart about it. Um, I know Greener Thoughts listeners, they pay attention, they read books, they know things, and um, I'm proud of you all for, you know, deep diving, for listening in on this podcast episode, for um, taking part in all the amazing uh, tips and tricks, 
and facts I share all the time and, um, you know, being smarter for it. I want to get to uh, a last thing is um, even as it's Black History Month, I wanted to go ahead and talk about um, this recent event with these shoes, which I um, I do like shopping, but I'm not a fanatic when it comes to, um, you know, basic needs. Um, you know, I'd rather put my money where it matters in an investment account. <laughs> so um, I think that uh, one of the most recent releases uh, is probably going to be out definitely uh, in a few days, definitely. But um, and in Pack a Punch is the Fear of a Black Planet. That is one of the shoe uh, releases. Um and it's speaking about um, the collaboration about uh, Puma and also Def Jam. They've released this amazing new shoe. I will leave the link for it specifically in the show notes and also the link for the press release about it in on this uh, different website. So you can check it out for yourself. It's a great um, collaboration that needs to be talked about. You can learn all about the artist. Um, and the shoes and fear of a black planet is nothing new. I know it's kind of um, not getting sidetracked necessarily off the topic, but it is related, um, at least in my opinion. Um, I do love the shoes. They are iconic. And I think if you ever want to learn anything about race relations, period, um, you can always type in uh, fear of a black planet on like YouTube. There are tons of comedy skits about it. I know one that was recent was really, really good. Within the last maybe three to four years, I saw it. Um, and so maybe you can check it out for yourself. Next, though, we are going to get into some handful of tips about uh, ways you know to solve the uh, crisis. So we talked about a little bit uh, from a climate change standpoint and um, information standpoint. Next in the Mother Earth Minutes. Do you love Greener Thoughts? Supporting Greener Thoughts ensures more giveaways are available with even more exciting prizes, future Greener Thoughts merchandise, and surprises found only on Greener Thoughts. I greatly appreciate and love all the listeners who have tuned in and who support Greener Thoughts by doing good for the planet. One of the many ways I would love your support is by clicking the second lower link in the show notes of this episode. It's the direct support link for Greener Thoughts. All right, so next we have come to the Mother Earth Minutes, which is where we review in the next few minutes actions that you can take to combat the issue in the episode and also to save Mother Earth. So with the message for this Mother Earth Minutes... In this podcast episode, I would love for you to learn a bit more about human migration um, and how we've evolved, how it's evolved, um, and how our planet has as well. There are two uh, different tips, uh, both uh, very much informational, educational. I hope you learn a bit more. I know that one of them, especially, I will be, um, especially because it's video-based, that video material there. I want you to go ahead and check out this amazing documentary. I saw the trailer and I cannot wait to go ahead and binge it and to watch it. 
It's called First Peoples, and it was um, made in 2015, and it's uh, by and through PBS. I will go ahead and share the trailer link in the uh, video description for you so you can check it out for yourself. It is amazing, very in-depth, um, thorough, I believe, um, and it's, you know, to the point, it's to the truth. Um, PBS is one of the um, top... I think, um, makers of educational material, period, that knows about how to teach. And this is one of the um, documentaries and, um, you know, very powerful um, visual images of of history, giving you that visual component, um, historical uh, scholars uh, that are on the program. I really hope that you check it out. Uh, next in the second tip is also the uh, book uh, aspect. So the book materials that I'm going to be talking about, there's a few different ones. Um, and so you can definitely read and brush up on these different things. I know that uh, some are uh, encyclopedias and others are also uh, very, very detailed um, history books for lack of a better uh, explanation. But uh, they are nonetheless educational and full of tons of information. So the first book, it's called The Global Prehistory of Human Migration. It was published in 2014, and it's 458 pages. And it's by Peter Bellwood and also Emmanuel Ness. And this work is really devoted exclusively to talking about prehistoric uh, migration and it covers all types of periods and places from when the first hominid migrations out of Africa through uh, to the end of prehistory. That's specifically what we talked about uh, within the research and within the news portion of Green of Thoughts. And next, it also um, is varied, especially with its uh, background of scholars within the book. So those from archaeology, um, anthropology, genetic, um, biology, linguistics backgrounds, just a lot of uh, people on the subject uh, matter to go ahead and talk about. Uh, As of this podcast episode, it has four ratings on Amazon and it's available on paperback at uh, $37.49 US dollars, but they have also varying uh, prices um, from different sellers at different price points. So definitely the book won't always be that high. There are tons of lower, lower costs um, or prices at that, uh, at different ranges. And it's also available in Kindle versions. Next is the other book called Atlases of Human Migration. And it's 192 pages. It's by Russell King. It covers tons of different topics within the book. It has an introduction on the main causes of human migrations and why they start. It also has the economic and also social effects of migrations and traditional roots and also expected uh, future migrations. And then lastly, it also talks about prehistoric migrations of early humans, just like um, before with that other book. And as of this podcast episode, it has 10 ratings on Amazon. It is available in hardcover for um, new at um, $48.98 US dollars, 
but it's really sold also at um, other um, different prices from different sellers as well. And then lastly, the last and third book is called Climate and Human Migrations, Past Experiences, Future Challenges. It was published back in 2013 and it's 312 pages. It's by Robert A. McLeeman and it's more of your modern take on climate and also how human migration has changed uh, based upon uh, that. And then it also, uh, as of this podcast episode, has two ratings on Amazon. It's also available on uh, hardcover at um, the price of $86.61 US dollars, also on paperback at um, $29.03 to about $48.22 US dollars. It's also available in different Kindle versions, and it's also sold from uh, multiple different sellers at different prices. Analysis of seafloor mud off the shore of Santa Barbara reveals that between 1945 and 2009, plastic levels in the ocean doubled every 15 years. That fact was sourced from the Sierra Club Sierra Magazine in the January-February 2020 issue. Greener Thoughts wants to hear your story. You can self-nominate or nominate an individual who exhibits environmental stewardship and protects the environment. If you volunteer in or work in an environmental company, either way, let Greener Thoughts know. If you want to tell your story and be in for a unique surprise, please send me a voice message. Just click on the third lower link in the show notes. everyone we've come to the eco company spotlight which is where in greener thoughts i would love for you to let me know of any environmentally related products or services that you have maybe own or anything like that and i can go ahead and review them always free of charge and so um, i just love supporting uh, those who are eco entrepreneurs those who have their own products product lines product services um, available and so I've been doing uh, quite a bit of reviewing since February 2019 and so one of the le- the latest uh, companies I want to go ahead and let you know about is called Minted uh, Cosmetics. So Minted Cosmetics were created to fill a much needed space in the black beauty world. Finding the perfect palette shade and make a product for a Black women can be challenging, of course, just to, you know, take up time doing that, though Minted Cosmetics gets it right. The founders, Amanda E. Johnson and K.J. Miller, were the 15th and also 16th Black uh, women, respectively, ever to raise $1 million in capital funding. The name Minted comes from the word Pigmented 
of course, uh, of which uh, there are tons of different products that uh, the company um, Minted carries. Minted Cosmetics carries tons of different things from eyeshadows, they have lipsticks, all types of different makeup, the whole deal. All of those things for women of color especially. So as far as the founders, the founders Amanda E. Johnson and also again uh, K.J. Miller, they promised the following. They promised to always put women of color first. They promised to also uh, have amazing customer service. They promised to tell it like it is and be straight up and be straightforward and be honest with you about what you can expect from Minted and how they can assist you further. And they also promise to fix any actual problem and they also promise to treat you like they would treat themselves. As far as commitment to sustainability regarding uh, Minted Cosmetics, they are cruelty free, dermatologist tested, they're also hypoallergenic, non-toxic, paraben-free, and also vegan. Now, as far as their uh, product selection, they have a ton of different things. Uh, mainly with their makeup, they are famous and most known for their lipsticks and lip gloss and lip liner. But they also have other facial products, other makeup products for your cheek, for your eyes, face, nails, and also other accessories like t-shirts um, and makeup bags and things like that. Regarding press surrounding Minted Cosmetics, they are uh, and are known to be uh, published in and talked about by Afrobella, Allure, Essence, Madame Noir, Marie Claire, People, Pure Wow, Teen Vogue, The New York Times, The Today Show, Vogue, Exo Nicole, and other top notable publications. To go ahead and contact Minted Cosmetics, you can go ahead and email them specifically at their email address, hello at mintedcosmetics, that's M-E-N-T-E-D, cosmetics.com. Now about my experience of Minted Cosmetics, I love their products, specifically the three that I purchased. I went ahead and purchased the foundation stick in uh, the shade T40. And then the uh, foundation sampler pack, I love that, cannot wait to use it. And then also the lip pencil in Lala. Now for me, it has uh, lots of coverage, about medium in some spots to about full coverage, mostly full coverage. And I love that it has just a right amount of coverage, especially with the stick uh, applicator that is present there. I love it. It's like having a really great, um, you know, like a balm stick, like a lip balm stick, but it's in foundation form. I love can I love the um, simple, simple convenience, but also getting right to the target spots uh, with that makeup. And having that delightful foundation, having that coverage there. And it has a bright, um, you know, essence to it with the sparkle factor. It's very pretty. It's very um, enlightening to see um, a shade that, you know, goes with my skin tone. That is just perfect. And I, would, I do want to buy another foundation stick um, just because I love what it does already. The one I have in T40. And I want to have the other one for a bit more um, contouring and depth um, also to my makeup because I haven't 
um, but a um, ton of makeup. I don't wear a lot of makeup, but for something fancy, I knew that I wanted to buy from Minted Cosmetics, so I did. And uh, it has a, a, a ton of uh, range in its price points. So um, for me, it cost me about $55 for uh, those three products for everything. I loved it. It, it was worthwhile. I do love it. Not loved it. I, I love it. And I still do. And it's amazing. I cannot wait to get my next uh, foundation stick. So with Minted Cosmetics, they can be found online at their website, Minted Cosmetics. That's M-E-N-T-E-D Cosmetics.com. They're also available on Amazon.com and also eBay.com, though in limited stock. Minted Cosmetics is on the following social media platforms. At Facebook, at Minted Cosmetics. They're on Instagram at Minted Cosmetics, all one word, all lowercase. They're on LinkedIn at Minted Cosmetics. They're on Pinterest at Minted Cosmetics. They're on Twitter at Minted Cosmetics. And they're also on YouTube at Minted Cosmetics. To contact Minted Cosmetics, you can go ahead and email them like I mentioned before. And you can do so by emailing them at hello at mintedcosmetics.com. Thank you for listening in to this podcast episode. Um, thank you for, um, you know, partaking in, you know, listening to talking about this subject that is a bit different from um, research that I've covered in the past. And I, I thought to go ahead and share this knowledge um, and all the information that's packed into this podcast episode. Um, I really do hope that you check out uh, the amazing episode announcements for all the organizations that are present there for the books and encyclopedias and visual resources in the Mother Earth Minutes and also Minted Cosmetics uh, for your makeup pleasure. So I hope you all take care and I will uh, talk about in the uh, next podcast episode something amazing for you all. But until then, please take care of yourselves and also please take care of the planet. You all take care. Bye.